Welcome to another episode of Laying the Foundation. Welcome back to another episode of Laying the Foundations podcast. Uh, I am here with Kent. Kent is one of our principal architects at the Des Moines office. And Kent, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Skylar. Yeah. Glad to have you here. Um, Kent, you're here to talk to us a little bit about how we can, um, or how architecture and design is used to positively impact uh, higher education campuses. Uh, Tell me a little bit about, I mean, maybe just your involvement with architecture and design when it comes to higher education, higher education campuses, and a little bit about, uh, uh, yeah, like what you've worked on just to kind of kick things off. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, Although higher education includes quite a gamut of space types, you know, from hazardous material storage buildings to performing arts. Okay. A a lot of my practice has been focused on learning spaces. Okay. And and community spaces for students. Um, Those have an incredible impact on students just because um, building spaces that people want to be in also helps building also helps build community. Of course. Um, interactions with students is so important, especially um, we all learned this a few years ago when we all went virtual, right. how important human interaction is to our psyche. And um, even before that, those spaces were impactful. And I'd say even now they're, that importance has increased tremendously. Sure, sure. So, I mean, what is it that we, we at least within our design and our, our architecture design, um, what are we looking to, or how do we enhance spaces where they, we want to build that community within those schools? Like what are some, maybe some ways or some clever, I don't know, techniques that we've used things along those lines? I think one of the most important things is to know that not every space is a great fit for every person. Sure. And so I think variety is a huge design um, factor um, and influencer for those kinds of spaces. Some people want to sit in a lounge chair like I'm hmm. sitting in now. Some people want to sit at a table, spread all their books out. You know, so it's you have to you really have to cater to every space uh, or every every desired type of space. Okay. Um, to attract people, um, what you find out quickly is it it really follows the field of dreams uh, sort of mantra in a lot of ways that if you build it, they will come. Okay. And so a lot of our student spaces, if you improve student space, if you start to you know. Uh, cut holes in 1970s buildings and start bringing in natural light. Uh, if you if you make these improvements um, and provide that variety I was talking about, they will come. So how do we create that variety when we have maybe a bit of a limited space to work with? Maybe um, whether that be based on size or just access that students might have to a space, how do we make sure that we have enough of that variety for those different types of... So that's a good, that's a good question. And um, sometimes the answer is we don't know. Sure. But the good news is, is that we've done enough of this in the last 10 or 15 years that we can kind of get an idea of what people are using and what they're not. Um, In fact, um, we did a large learning commons project for the University of Iowa in um, 2013. It was Mm -hmm. completed and they actually surveyed. They actually, the the, um, learning spaces community at Iowa actually went around and surveyed what students were using what tech and what seating and what posture. So like we had really good data yeah. On, on what was used and what wasn't. And that really um, was an amazing piece of, of uh, data set to have to do the next few designs. Um, and, and that changes over time, obviously, but um, it's kind of trial and error. Right, definitely. And I know I've talked to a couple of the other architects as well, like the concept of very like client-based design um, or 
even like deeper into that, not just like the immediate clients that we're working with, the, you know, the CEOs or whoever's involved in the building or whatever the case management, but also talking to like, obviously the people that are going to be using that space on the day to day, the students in this case, you know, the, and I know you had also mentioned beforehand the staff and faculty, because they're going to be using those spaces as well. That's right. So like, we always think about, oh, how can we make the students life better and that's an important factor mm -hmm. um, but the same issues in higher ed for attracting students to your campus are the same for faculty and staff and um, they actually spend a lot more time there than the students because they don't they don't leave after they graduate that's true <laughs> right so they're gonna be there for a while yeah. so it's important for them to have the kind of space they need to do their job um, and and I think oftentimes they get overlooked sure oh you know well it's just the staff we don't care about the staff right. but they're people too yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, designing those spaces that are better for the staff and better for the, the, the students as well, that's really going to help with the uh, minimizing the turnover rate, I would assume. Yes, it does. And I, I think a big change we've seen, um, especially in the last 10 years, is the faculty and staff wanting to be a lot more engaged mm -hmm. with the students. I think if you go back maybe 10 to 20 years ago, depending on the campus, um, the staff was sort of hidden away. You had to go right. find your, you had to go find your professor like for office hours, right? right? You had to, you had to like go down long corridors and, and, and know their office number. And now I feel like um, they want to be more, more front and center sure. than that. So what are some ways that we've kind of designed spaces to help keep them front and center? We know that the college of education uh, at university of Iowa is a great example. Um, they, had their faculty offices in in the, in the top of the tower, oh. furthest away from any door. Like right. you had to like very deliberately go to the dean's office to see the leadership of the College of Ed, and 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 the student services part of the College of Ed, and the dean, the new dean, uh, Dan Clay, realized immediately this is a this is a problem. Right. And um, he's like, we've got to be, you know, more accessible to our students. And so they we actually moved that office suite from the fourth floor to the second floor, oh, okay. built it around a community of learning spaces and common space. Even It even has a cafe. Oh, nice. Always helps. Oh, absolutely. Um, but now they're front and center and you don't have to go search for them anymore, Good. which is great because, you know, they're going in and out. They're going to the same cafe. It increases the the uh, amount of chance encounters. Sure. And, and sort of... Uh, uh, casual uh, conversations and meetings that, that they wouldn't have had before. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Um, what other spaces do we like to really hone in on or focus in on when it comes to helping to enhance this experience, both with the students and with the, the faculty? Well, so one of the things we've done a tremendous amount of um, at all of our campuses that we've worked on is actual learning spaces, actual, actual, actual classrooms. Okay. Um, and those look way different now than they did oh, 20 years ago. So uh, again, the same thing I talked about in the commons um, environment where you need a variety, I think that also exists in the classroom, okay. um, not only for the students' uh, posture, like, do they want to sit at a high top table or a, or a task chair or a tablet armchair? Oh, okay. not that we see a lot of those anymore. <laughs> um, but it's also uh, the it has to accommodate the, the different teaching styles. Um, at the pedagogy of the teacher or the the professor or their preferred pedagogy, um, you know, really drives the design of the classroom. And right. what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's a, the active learning environment that we talk about so much now. 
um, the, the whole hierarchy of the classroom is broken down. So there isn't a front of the room anymore. Right. Right. And the, and the, the instructor sort of milling about the space, you know, interacting with the groups that are collaborating together yeah. and sort of hearing what's going on. So, um, that type of environment isn't for everybody mm-hmm. and we know that. So we've done a lot of those rooms where, um, they can flex from traditional to, to active learning. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Definitely keeping it open based on the need, obviously yes. of both the teacher and the students and whatever's going to be taught in the classroom. Like obviously there's going to be some that are going to have really special, very specific needs within that classroom because of whatever it is that's being taught. Like I'm sure we've worked on some spaces where it's kind of like a shop environment. So that's going to be obviously really different than, you know, more of a classroom. Right. Exactly. And you know, um, at the end of the day, there's some things that still happen, um, that are very traditional, like testing, Yeah. even though it might happen on a laptop, the sort of the setup and the privacy concerns are the same. So there's some things that haven't changed for as many things that have. Yeah, absolutely. Jumping a little bit um, on the topic, but part of like obviously the experience of those that are using these higher education spaces and one of the biggest concerns I know a lot of them have have been talking about is like security and safety. Um, I know we did an episode previously with uh, David Brockshis, one of our other architects about, you know, designing schools and not prisons, but um, a lot of that was focused on sort of more like K-12 education spaces. Um, when it comes to higher ed, are there things that we do to try to sort of enhance that sense of safety within yeah. those spaces? Sadly, you know, this is in the context of many things, the mm-hmm. higher ed community is no stranger right. to, to violence on campus. Um, even here in Iowa, um, if you if you Google the 90s and, and the University mm-hmm. of Iowa, they certainly had an incident that which has influenced their design and their thoughts towards security from from, you know, for the last 30 years, honestly. Right. Um, so yeah, we don't do any classroom spaces now that don't have an emergency lockdown button, for instance, that is close to the instructor station. Um, we talk about, uh, visibility, um, they'd rather, you know, the higher ed is kind of, they're kind of on the cutting edge of like, you know, thoughts on this. And I feel like that there's that double edged sort of the visibility scene out of the classroom versus people being able to see you or shoot at you. Um, and I think they've decided that being able to see out is, is a more powerful thing than being able to see in, right. which um, lends itself to a more desirable space from, a, from an architectural and, and maybe a, a healthy, you know, yeah. daylit space is, is better than, than not. But um, we, it's definitely something we talk about. Yeah. And, and um, it's just, that's just, it's just reality. Sure. It is unfortunate, obviously. And, I feel like every every space is going to be a little bit different in what it needs and what you know is something that can be integrated into it, of course. And, and, and I think the higher ed um, is unique in in that they try to realize that this is you know we don't want to overreact to something, sure, but we don't want to underreact to something, right? right. So I feel like there's been a nice um, happy medium there. Okay. Awesome. Attention architecture professionals. Are you looking for an employment opportunity that will provide you with a wonderful work culture and a competitive pay rate? Look no further than CMBA Architects. Our firm offers flexible scheduling, a casual dress code, and a great work environment. 
that will help you collaborate and create. Plus, who doesn't love having Fridays off? To learn more about our available positions, visit the careers page at cmbaarchitects.com and apply to join the CMBA team. When it comes to um, an, another major topic that I know that um, kind of comes up, which is student sort of mental health within that. Um, and when it comes to architecture and design, there's a lot of features and things that we can add to the spaces that will um, essentially affect sort of those that use that space there, you know, whether that be the coloring or it could be, you know, like you mentioned the, uh, the, you know, sun coming in sunlight, natural sunlight. Um, what other ways do we design spaces to kind of help with that somewhat mental health, but also just generally like the enjoyment of the space aesthetically speaking? Well, I think the first thing that um, I would say is that you want to make the space really accessible to everyone. Okay. So universal design is designed for everyone. So when we talk about like accessibility, you know, mm -hmm. for, we often talk about, we think about people that are in wheelchairs or on crutches or, you know, low sight, um, low sighted people. But I really feel like good design is universal design where we're designing it for everybody all at the same time. And it sure it happens to work for everybody. To me, that's ideal can always do it it's right. great when we can but what that helps with is um it, you know it makes the buildings easier to use you can find your way around you you don't have to ask you know people for help because people are really sensitive about oh gosh they right. want to do this on their own or they're afraid to ask for help so you want to make things obvious and accessible and i think that's that's the first thing obviously nobody likes caves Right. I think that's been well documented that sunlight's really health healthy for us. Yes. And 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 you know all the other stuff, um, ventilation. You know we we're not mechanical engineers, sure, but we're keenly aware that you know working in especially working in building renovations with old buildings, they might not have the ventilation air that uh, that a newer building might have. And you know we don't as humans don't react very well to be um, in an environment where you have tons of CO two. Right. Right. Makes us sleepy and tired. Yeah. Right. Exactly and and irritable. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's one thing from an environmental point of view. The other thing would be, you know, um, I think, uh, again, back to variety. Mm -hmm. If, if you went in a Stanley Kubrick white box, I don't <laughs> think that does very good things no, for mental health either. Not at all. So I think the use of color is really important. Okay. Now, you kind of mentioned like with the, the ventilation systems with like older buildings and things like that. So a lot of these college campuses, they, they'll brag about, you know, we've been around for a hundred plus years or whatever, and we're going to have buildings there that have been around for about that long. How do we go in and redesign these spaces that have, I mean, you'd almost be better off sometimes like plowing the whole thing down and just restarting from zero or how do we do that? Yeah. You have to be selective. Um, We've worked in buildings that are over 100 years old. Sure. Um, I think um, we did some renovations at both Iowa State and the University of Iowa, buildings that are well over 100 years old. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's interesting. The mechanical challenges definitely have to be dealt with. Right. Like most of those buildings were built before air conditioning was invented. Right. So, you know, those those problems, we know how to solve those. We know where to hide the ductwork and not destroy the historic fabric of the building. Um it can be done. Uh, the great thing about a lot of these old buildings is they have incredibly um, 
high floor to floor heights because of the natural ventilation oh, okay. from days in the past. So some of some of it's not as bad oh, okay. as some of the things that were maybe built in the sixties and seventies. Sure. Um, those are the buildings that, that maybe the wrecking ball shouldn't spare, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's kind of a decision. When do you make that decision? When do you save it? And when you don't, and I think yeah. that's, that's, there's a lot of factors in that. Nostalgia is always a huge one. Okay. You know, do, do people remember, you know, this building do people remember proposing to their spouse in front of this building you know that that that's a huge factor and the other one is can we actually make it work for something that can be used today right is it kind of worth all the what's going to have to go into it versus what's it worth to just plow it down and and start over almost right and and usually the answer is that you can reuse it but a, a lot of times it's hard to take a building that was used to store library books, like oh, a yeah. stack area of a library with lots of columns and low ceilings to make that into anything. Right. Even though we've done that before too. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, a lot of people always kind of want to get some insight when it comes to the experts on what you think we might be looking at, you know, 10 years down the road or in the future when it comes to designing for higher education spaces. Um, it's not always possible to really predict the future per se but do you have any (laughs) it's fun to try it's fun it's fun fun to try yeah do you have any any insights any thoughts about what we might be looking at as we move down the road so the one thing that we'll say is that we we won't we probably won't be able to sure but one thing that we do actually focus on that i think has an impact is think about the building that you're designing especially if you're doing one from scratch um how can we come up with a system of columns and um, floor heights and things that can be easily modified to be used for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a time when we got, you know, really into like laying columns out that would work with an office grid. Oh. And and when was the last time we designed an office building with offices? Yeah. I, that, that concept's kind of gone away. So it's like, it's better to think about the building framework as a flexible thing that can be molded into something else easily. Sure. Um, the the one thing that makes me think about that is um you know we talk about sustainability mm-hmm. it takes a lot of energy to build a building oh very much and um if you can do that in 10 to 15 or 20 years and it can be easily molded into something else you've saved a lot of energy in embodying energy and building a building yeah probably probably not as much as the energy use of the building over its life but a, a significant amount of energy absolutely absolutely and then kind of on the opposing side of that, uh, a little bit of past reflection, having come out and into a post-COVID world that's changed so much about everything, even outside of higher ed, but specifically within higher ed and higher ed design, going forward, what are we looking at as far as how that's kind of left an impact with a lot of the, like, whether that be within remote spaces or remote teaching, things along those lines? That's, that's a really good question. And I, I think it's maybe too soon to tell. Sure. But observations so far um i think just like we have a kind of a work expectation now to be able to work whenever and however we're in the world we want as long as we can get wi-fi um the students have the same thing with education right they don't feel the need to go sit in a classroom and listen to someone talk to them because they can watch that on youtube right right that that's not going to change i don't think that part of higher ed is going to change back um the the thing that could possibly change is um, you know that again the requirement to do it mm-hmm. are people going to make people come to lectures mm. you know I 
people are, you know, you start hearing about it. Players are saying, we're going to make all our employees come back to work. It's like, right. I feel like some of this stuff is never going to be the same. We're not coming back. Right. Because if a student has a choice and, and we say that's all in-person learning, yeah. I'm going to go, mm, I'll go somewhere else maybe. Exactly. Right. I'll go sit in my room and I'll. Right. Yeah. So the I think the flexibility is never going away. Okay. And then, I mean, if we have that flexibility and it's not going to go away, what does that mean for the spaces that we're designing? Because are they going to shrink? Are they going to? So that's that's a good point. Well, so that we have, um, we're doing two lecture hall renovations right now. Um, and by lecture halls, you know, if you followed higher in the past, you realize the size of the lecture hall has shrunk significantly. Right. So these are for rooms for around 100 people. So they're smaller by major university standards, but they're still lecture style. And they're designed. Um, so someone could be watching the live stream sure, or in the classroom and get the same experience. Yeah. So that's whiteboard cameras. That's, yeah, that's cameras of the actual room seeing people ask questions. Sure. So it's, um, I was just going to say, yeah, from a, from a content creator standpoint, I mean, that, that seems kind of logical to design the room almost for the purpose of capturing the lecture content wise and being able to put it out so that students that aren't using that space can still get the information or get the lecture whatever the case and and you know just like the technology for everything is quickly evolved um we used to have we used to design these little studio spaces for the professors to go into right to record their classes we called them i think at at iowa they called them the one touch studio okay where they could just go into there put their thumb drive into the machine and sit there and the camera and everything was all set up for them um, and now people are doing this with their laptop, right? Uh, honestly, recording them through Zoom, yeah. You know, and and putting them out there. So like the whole need for something that sort of popped up has gone away, and we're renovating those spaces into something else. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, look at us. We're it, inside of a, a small it, exactly you know, office small room office. with two microphones and a in a laptop. Exactly. So awesome, awesome. Well, that's really everything that I had. I mean, if there was anything that you wanted to close out with, as far as discussion goes, but no, I mean, I'm. I'm excited to talk about anything. Oh, okay. If it involves higher ed. Right, right. After how many years? Yeah, yeah. No, I I imagine, yeah. There's probably, I mean, you could probably, we could do 20 podcast episodes at the very least. Yes. <laughs> we might need to, in fact, in the future. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, we'll do some breakdowns. We'll do, uh, we'll come up with 20 different topics. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, Kent, seriously, it's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, really appreciate you coming here and sharing your expertise within higher ed and design and architecture. Thanks. Thanks, Skylar. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you as well for listening. Uh, This has been another episode of Laying the Foundation. You can, of course, find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that podcasts can be found. You can check us out on our website at cmbaarchitects.com. You can see a lot of the projects that we've worked on in the past, including projects that Kent has been a part of. Um, And of course, you can always check us out on social media, whether that be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Once again, thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Laying the Foundation.